When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk, and I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus, You were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you declares the Lord. So far, the reading of God's Word. Your renown went forth (laughs) among the nations because of your beauty. You were attractive to others, and they were drawn to me, says the Lord. How did you get here this morning? I don't mean by car. How did you find out about the North Shore Community Church? Some people, they typed, they Googled Presbyterian Church North Shore, and they found us. Uh, Other people were driving by, and they saw the sign, all the Scripture verses, and they said, oh, that interests me. But most of you were invited by a friend to come. Because churches grow as friends bring friends. An attractive friend, there was something about them, brought you. Wes Traeger told us a couple of years ago that his best friend, Kathy, his wife, brought him to this church. But how did Kathy get here? Well, there was a friend in our church who went to the women's Bible study that knew Kathy in Bayville, and that friend invited Kathy. But how did she get here, that other friend? Well, there was a gentleman who lived in her town that was an acquaintance of hers, and as they were talking about her struggles in life, she said, you know, there's a women's Bible study taught by Nina Yenchko at the North Shore Community Church. She is a fantastic Bible teacher. You ought to go to that. And she did and was converted, came to Christ. But how did her gentleman friend know about us? And it turns out that one of the founding members of this church, Steve Rattegi, was so in love with the Lord that it attracted this gentleman. And Steve said, come on over to our church. And he came and was one to Christ. Wait, what's going on here? It's generations of spiritual grandchildren because friends bring friends. They are attractive and they bring others. What is it that makes you spiritually attractive 
to family or to friends or to neighbors or colleagues at work. Today, this passage before you explains in, in a tight, packed way. It explains foreshadowing the work of Jesus Christ for the new covenant people of God for you and for me. And I want to explore it and then apply it to our own lives. Commentators tell us that there was a time, actually, before Israel's apostasy, when Israel was so splendid and so beautiful, the nations actually came to Israel to check her out and to check out her God. Does anybody remember when that was in the Old Testament? It was in the time of Solomon. In the time of Solomon, the Solomonic dynasty, There was peace in the land and prosperity across Israel, and there was righteousness and justice. And remember the queen of Sheba? Do you remember that in 1 Kings chapter 10? She came, she said, I heard about the blessings of your God on you people, and I had to see it with my own eyes. And she was invited, and she came, and she saw, and she said, I never imagined how great is the goodness of your God to you. And so, Ezekiel is recounting that time, God through Ezekiel, saying that time of perfect splendor and beauty and her renown before the nations. How did she get there? Well, what we find are at least four huge aspects of the gospel where God brings His beauty onto His people. And and that's the first point. The first point is that God brings His beauty onto us, to each of you, and to the North Shore Community Church. And I want to point out four ways, four words. I I have them actually written in the the, uh, margin of my old personal study Bible as I read through that once and underlined a number of words. These words are covenant. These words are cleansing. These words are clothing. These words are crowning. Covenant, clothing, cleansing, crowning the people of God by the grace of God. And um, that first word in verse 8, covenant, I love this. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I, this is strange, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. Well, what's that all about? He explains it in the next phrase. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Covenant. Is that a word you are accustomed to using? Well, you know, it's a good word to describe how God engages His people, covenant. It's an old technical term for relationship. And the Christian has a relationship with God. God initiates and enters into a relationship with His people. Here's this, she's like an abandoned woman, a young girl on the ash heap, bloody, ashamed, forsaken. And God says, you, you there, yes, you. And He covers her with the corner of His garment. If you know your Old Testament, if you know the book of Ruth, 
Does anybody know the book of Ruth where Boaz meets Ruth that night on the threshing floor? And it's the same thing. It says he covers her with the edge of his garment. What's he doing? He's entering into relationship, covenant relationship. This word covenant, it was often used of business partnerships or treaties between kings and nations, but most solemnly it was used of the marriage covenant, which is a formal, binding, committed relationship. How does this foreshadow what we have in Jesus Christ? Surely you know if you've ever taken communion. For you hear the words of Jesus saying to His people, The cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. What new covenant? It was the covenant that Jeremiah prophesied. Do you remember that new covenant that Jeremiah spoke of? He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. This is the one, you see, that Ezekiel is describing here. Though I was their husband, covenantal language declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And you and I, we were lost. We were orphaned. We were bloody. And He came and covered us with His garment and entered into the new covenant with us. We are His people and He is our God. And then in our verse 9, in verse 9, He says, I bathed you with water, washed off your blood from you, anointed you with oil. And in my scribbled notes, I put the word, He cleanses us, cleansing, washing, purifying, And what is baptism? It's the pouring of water over us, the washing of God. I cleansed you. How is this a picture of the new covenant, the New Testament reality? And if you know that verse in 1 John chapter uh, 1, verse 9, we sometimes miss a word in there. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And that's where we, we, we say, He forgives our sins. That's so wonderful. But, but, but read the rest of the verse. And to cleanse us. He's beginning this mopping up operation, this washing operation in our lives to cleanse us from unrighteousness. You say, oh, that's true of the person sitting next to me, but that could never be me. You don't know what's going on in my heart. I wasn't born into the church. I don't know anything about God. I'm an alien to this religion stuff. And you know what we read in the book of Acts, Acts 15.9? It says... He made no distinction between us and them. 
having cleansed their hearts, cleansed their hearts by faith. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've come from. Now it is by faith. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, the cleansing is yours. Cleansed by faith. Do you believe, do you have faith that your sins are forgiven, that you've been washed by the Lord? We sing an old hymn. We don't sing it enough. What can wash away my sin? Do you know the refrain? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Cleansing. Covenant. Cleansing. And isn't it nice, you know, you're... Your kids come in from playing outside. They're covered with soot from head to toe. And you say, hit the shower, son. And he scrubs and gets cleaned off. And he comes out shiny and bright. You know, it's attractive. Your husband, after a long, hard day at work, he comes home. He washes up. He, he washes up pretty good, doesn't he? Cleansed. It's attractive to the world. And then clothed. Clothed. Look at this. I wrapped you in, verse 10, I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. Then verse 13, thus you were adorned, and I wrote, I, I wrote in my margin, clothed with gold and silver. Your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. And how is this a picture of the gospel of grace in the New Testament? Hmm. What do you think? Maybe you remember the story of the prodigal son. Remember him? What a mess he made of his life. And he abandons his father. He abandons his family. He's living with the pigs till he comes to his senses. And he comes back filthy and dirty and broke. And what does the father do? The father loves him, embraces him. He throws a party, and then in Luke 15, 22, but the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And what is this? This is a picture of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ given to us, received by faith, credited to our account. Does he deserve the robe? He does not deserve the robe. Does he get the robe? He gets the robe. This is grace. The best robe, that beautiful robe, better than Joseph's robe. And the righteousness of Jesus given to you. You know, we had a young lady, a girl in middle school, join our church. We were doing a membership interview with her. We were hearing about her discussion her views on the Lord, and it actually turned to the fairly sophisticated theological topic of imputation, the imputation of our sin onto Jesus, the imputation of His righteousness onto us, and she said, oh, that's easy. I swapped my badness onto Jesus, and He swapped His goodness onto me. That's the gospel. She got that right. You don't need to read Calvin's Institutes to get that. She Just go to her. 
My friends, my badness laid upon him. Christ made dirty. The clean one made dirty by my dirt and filth. His righteousness and goodness given to me. But the clothing in the New Testament is not merely, not only justification, not only imputed righteousness. But there's a word in here. It's the word linen. It's the word linen. that a careful student of the New Testament will pick up on if they've ever read the book of Revelation. Because it says in Revelation 19, verse 8 of the church, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. We recall now what Ezekiel said to Israel, we recall how the glorious grace of God clothed her with linen. And now, again, the church is clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. And then it's explained, the end of verse 8, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Because you know what? Christians who are granted grace by God actually do good deeds. And this is wonderful. Christians actually, maybe not perfectly, but they actually do love their neighbor. They do actually serve the poor. They do actually stand for what is right and just. They do actually tell the truth when the whole world lies. They actually sacrifice when the world is selfish. And this is the linen. This is your linen fine and pure that Jesus infuses into your soul and makes you new. You are in covenant relationship. You are cleansed. You are clothed. And you are crowned, it says. And look at verses 12 and 13. He says, I placed a beautiful crown on your head. And you advanced to royalty. Joseph Aldrich, in his book, uh, Lifestyle Evangelism, he says in, in the, of these things, these are the rights and privileges of the royal children of God who receive the crown of Jesus Christ on their heads. 1 Peter 2.9 You know this verse, I hope. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. There's the word, the crown. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. That's right, the covenant people in relationship with Him become the royal people of God. And there is a new sense of identity for Israel of old and for we the new Israel, the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, we now are the royal priesthood. This is really, really important for you, my friends. And it's important because we get our identity from all kinds of things. If, if I were to say, ask you to describe yourself, maybe you would say, I am, I am male, I am... Brazilian. I am a Democrat. I am a Republican. 
I am a heterosexual. I am a Yankees fan. And I, I am, I'm a baby boomer. I'm a millennial. You know, all kinds of identity labels. But listen carefully. What is the most important identity? What is the first identity of your life? What are you first before you are a man or a woman, before you are a Republican or Democrat, before you're a Phillies fan or a Yankees fan, what are you first? I am a child of the king. I am a citizen of the kingdom. I am a Christian first. And it's not about, like, balancing Christian and Republican or Christian and Democrat or Christian and male or Christian and female. You're not balancing them. No, what is first in you is Christ, and I am a citizen of His kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? That is you. That is first. And you have advanced to royalty. And the result of all of these things, of this splendor and beauty upon the church fulfilled in the New Testament is the witness to the nations. Now point two on the back of your outline, Ezekiel 16, verse 14. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you. What is this perfect royal splendor? It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. All that is splendid about Jesus is now laid upon you and massaged into you, is a part of you. What is the result? The result is that the church is more than just the recipient of this beauty of God, but she becomes the vehicle to spread the beauty of God to the ends of the earth. It's a display of God and His grace through you. And the New Testament teaches this. So many passages, but just, just do you see there Colossians 1.27? To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And what is the glory of this mystery? He tells us, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are to make it known. Did you know that? And the second half of 1 Peter 2, verse 9. I, in the first point, I just read the first half of the verse. But there is a purpose to you becoming a royal priesthood. And what is it? The end of 1 Peter 2, 9. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness. And this young woman bloody, abandoned, alone on the ash heap, was in darkness. And what has God done? He has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, and you have to tell the world. Don't you love this? There is a legend. I put this in your, uh, in your reflection this morning, but there's a legend which recounts the return of Jesus Christ back up to heaven. And the angel Gabriel approaches him and says, Master, you must have suffered terribly for men down there. I did, Jesus said. And Gabriel continues, do they know all about how you love them and what you did for them? Oh, no, said Jesus. 
Not yet. Right now, only a handful of people in Palestine know. Gabriel was perplexed. Then what have you done, he asked, to let everyone know about your love for them? Jesus said, I've asked Peter and James and John and a few more friends to tell other people about me. Those who are, in, are told will in turn tell others about me. Those who are told will in turn still tell other people about me, and my story will be spread to the farthest reaches of the globe, and ultimately all of mankind will have heard about my life and what I have done. Gabriel frowned. He looked rather skeptical. He knew well what poor stuff men were made of. Yes, but what if Peter, James, and John grow weary? What if the people who come after them forget? What if way down in the 21st century people just don't tell others about you? Haven't you made any other plans? Jesus answered, I haven't made any other plans. I'm counting on them. And so it is still today. It is the beauty and splendor of God that rests on you that is to make you attractive to your family members and to your neighbors and to the other kids at school and to the world around you. He still has no other plan. North Shore Community Church, the mark of a dying church. I study this kind of stuff. The number one mark of a dying church is that she only cares about herself. Is that us? Jack Miller wrote a great book. It's called Outgrowing the Ingrown Church. If we become ingrown, this sanctuary, this beautiful sanctuary, will become a mausoleum to the past. And the church will die. What are we to do? We are to proclaim the excellencies of Him who brought us out of darkness and to gather people in for the harvest. I read an interesting survey this week by a, a Lifeway, uh, Lifeway Resources. And they, they did this questionnaire of 2,000 unchurched Americans. They found 2,000 Americans who don't go to church and they were asked, what is it that would get you into church? What would get you into church? 35% of people said a worship service. 35% said I might come to a worship service. Actually, um, uh, a bunch more said if there was a catastrophe and the church was holding a meeting uh, for the neighborhood, I, I would come to that. But 35% but, but said I might come to a worship service. Then they surveyed the 2,000 people, what method would get you in? Listen to this. 18% said a Facebook ad. 21% said a church member knocking on my door. 23% said a postcard inviting me. 23% said a TV commercial. Now listen. 51% said a personal invitation from a friend or a family member. 
And that takes us back to where we started. Friends bring friends. Look at these invitation cards we put in your hand. Everybody gets 10 of them. Mike Rickert made them for us. Wasn't that nice of him? Mike Rickert made us these invitation cards. This is not propaganda for you to leave on the subway seat or on the bus seat. This is for you to hand to a friend after you've entered into some discussion of your life. And then you say, you know, especially if you understand Facebook, there's a little like icon, like. And you can just say, maybe you would be ready to like church. And on the inside, it just gives us the information. This is, this is my church family, and I would love it if you would come with me and sit with me. I'll sit with you. Come with me to church. Could you maybe do this? Maybe you, have, you know somebody who's ready to like church. Now, if you don't like church, if you don't like church, I hope you do. But if you don't, it's not going to work. I want you to like these beautiful people all around you. The prophet Ezekiel described for us God's work to make Israel beautiful, to remind her that He rescued her from the rubbish heap where she was abandoned to die, and He cleansed her, and He clothed her, and He crowned her, and He married her in covenant. And He's done the same for you and for me. And then He put her on display to the world. That's what He's done with you. The world liked her in 1 Kings 10. The world will like you. I conclude with this quote quote from Sheldon Van Auken. He says, The best argument for Christianity is Christians, their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug, when they are narrow and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. God says, yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. I will establish for you an everlasting covenant, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And never again open your mouth because of your shame when I atone for you all that you have done, declares the Lord God. Jesus has come. Jesus has come. Are you ready to like church? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do want to thank you right now for all that you have done. But we don't want to become like the stagnant pond that only receives the living water. We want that water to flow to us and through us to our neighbor. Lord, we have these cards to give away right now, and we humbly ask you for divine appointments to take these out of our wallet or from the glove box in our car or out of our pocket and to invite a friend to be with us that your splendor may be enjoyed by them. In Jesus' name, amen.